0: Let us meet God today in his scriptures from 1 Samuel, if you're with me, 1 Samuel chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 18. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children. But Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your scriptures today and to hear from you. I plead for your mercy and the leading of your spirit that uh, my words would not merely be the words of man, but your truth spoken to your people, Uh, and may it fall on uh, ears ready to hear, on uh, wills prepared to do that which you have called us to do. May it be so by the gracious and powerful work of your spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we had the opportunity to look at the beautiful and reassuring, I hope it's reassuring, a fact of God's sovereignty as we looked at Hannah's prayer of faith in the second chapter of the same book of First Samuel. Uh, Today, we're going to obviously backtrack a little bit, moving to the beginning of this book, to the first chapter, to see uh, those events leading up to uh, the situation, the occasion for her prayer in chapter two, events which very clearly uh, still show God as the ruler, the ruling king, uh, the fact we discussed last week, but also, I think, show a fascinating interplay of God's rules, his commands, what he expects humans to do, what we're responsible to do, that interplay then of God's uh, sovereignty, his sovereign rule, with our responsibility, human responsibility. And uh, I hope it's framed well there on your outlines. I see a number of these interplays uh, culminating in a a very fascinating fact at the end we'll get to. Um, But let's jump into it then. skipping ahead uh, to verses 5 and 6, and um, those verses, of course, ahead of it, uh, setting the the framework here for what's happening, where are these people, and uh, just to drop a hint, it's very interesting to me in verse 3, where it's kind of a non-sequitur, it doesn't make sense in the context here, later it does, but the tail end of verse 3, where it says, "...also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there." And uh, that's like, why does God mention it there? But, of course, that leads us ahead to the point of what ended up happening with uh, those two sons, which is, I think, one of uh, God's wise purposes in this whole story we're going to be looking at. But then uh, for us to investigate in verses 5 and 6, we see a rule, uh, God's rule, be fruitful and multiply, a rule laid down at the very beginning of the scriptures uh, in Genesis uh, for married women and married men together to uh, fulfill his mandate to have children, uh, to multiply, to take dominion of the earth. Uh, it's a rule that he lays out. Everyone to their ability is to do that. But it's not so simple as you know, just go do it. There is an interplay of God's sovereignty uh, as I have there in point B that God opens and closes the womb. Uh, There's many couples who desire to and can't, and when they don't think they want to, they do. Uh, It's a fact of how God works it out, that he is sovereign, opening and closing the womb. Uh, So beautifully stated for us in Psalm 127, a psalm often stated at weddings and at baptisms, uh, the occasion for children to be either looked forward to or rejoiced over them coming. Uh, It's stated in Hannah's prayer in chapter 2, the fact that God gives children to the barren and also uh, those with children becoming feeble in verse 5 that we looked at last week. So a very simple fact. Uh, that God opens and closes the womb. He's sovereign over that. That doesn't mean that we don't do the actions uh, necessary to fulfill our responsibility, uh, nor do we, uh, when we're doing what we're commanded, uh, wonder uh, if there's some genie in a bottle potion that we're supposed to be doing in order to succeed at what we're trying to do, but that we rest. We rest trusting in God's sovereignty. So even in this very basic fact setting the stage for this story, we see a rule for man to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and God's sovereign rule over that, that he opens and closes the womb. Uh, Secondly, uh, moving to how Hannah responds to this, Uh, we see uh, the interplay of God's uh, rule uh, superintending this whole situation and a rule... Uh, which I don't think Anna so well follows, as you'll see from my outline point there. Her first response being sulking, reading in verse 7. Well, 6 and 7, really. Her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Um, So obviously... Uh, the other wife is not being kind to her. She's provoking her, but that does not give Hannah the excuse to respond in an unrighteous manner by refusing to eat and weeping, and um, I guess I see it as her sulking. Um, how is one expected to respond to provoking? What is the righteous way of uh, dealing with all these providential situations uh, that God has brought about in her life? Uh, not to be so inwardly tormented, like, oh, woe is me, uh, the world is all against me, the other wife is against me, everybody's making trouble in my life. Now, that's not uh, the rule uh, how we're supposed to follow it. Uh, we're supposed to uh, turn the other cheek, uh, to uh, return ill for, uh, with kindness, uh, to do what we can to do the best in the midst of that situation and not to uh, be looking for uh, others' fault. Uh, I remember when I was a youth, um, that was a really bad sport. I'm still competitive now. Uh, Those young guys who remember the snowball fights we had when I first moved to Omaha. You you guys remember that. Uh, I don't like to lose. but uh, when I was, I think it's a healthy thing to be competitive and not to, to lose. We're supposed to win uh, Christ's cause, of course. Uh, but when I was you know, 10, 12 years old, I was a really bad sport. I was in a youth basketball league, and when my team did not win, I did not take it well. Um, I mean, I cried. It was kind of pathetic, uh, just uh, my own uh, reflecting on what could I have done and what did I do. And it was just really disgraceful, to tell you the truth. Uh, and I remember one kid, kid. Um, Actually, his name sprung to my mind this morning. I won't say it now because it's being recorded. But, uh, and he would provoke me. You know, when his team would win on the basketball court, he would, and it wasn't righteous for him to do that, but he would provoke me, and I responded far from righteously. Uh, So it's not that uh, he was allowed to do that, and I should have responded differently. Both uh, should have combined to make a much more righteous situation. But thankfully, uh, with 10 years of God's sanctification, and a little bit of maturity under my belt. Uh, I no longer sulk like I used to on the basketball courts. If I get hit with a snowball, it's not such a bad deal. I'll just go get a bigger one uh, and get back to you in a few minutes or next opportunity, right? Um, Not that it's vindictiveness, but we want to do our best with the resources we have. Um, But all that to say, uh, Hannah's response here uh, that I see in verse 7 is not a righteous response. And we have to be honest to say that. Hannah is certainly lifted up as a great woman of scripture. But just like David is, not everything they did is right and to be imitated. Uh, So Hannah here is not responding in a godly manner. She's been commanded uh, through the revealed will of God in the scriptures uh, to respond in a way that trusts in God's sovereignty, uh, that uh, certainly pursues hard after uh, that which God has promised. He's promised to bless his people uh, with children, and that happens in a variety of ways, as we'll see here, Um, but yet uh, to be content in uh, the situations as they happen because uh, just like as we move to these next verses, uh, she's really insulting her husband uh, by not uh, loving him as she should and, and dwelling excessively on the lack of children. It's insulting to God. Uh, when we don't uh, act thankfully and gracefully uh, in the midst of challenging circumstances, so we must not insult him by uh, sulking. We um, we glorify him by being thankful, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. Well, then, how does she uh, respond uh, in the interplay with her husband? Um, Uh, In verses 8 and 9, we read, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, and then it continues on with her being at the temple there with Eli and her prayer. But before we get to that, that prayer, we see again an interplay of God's sovereignty. I mean, He created the situation, right? He uh, led somehow, determined that Elkanah would have two wives. Uh, that the other one would have a bunch of children, uh, that she wouldn't, um, that she would be sulking, that that he would see this, and not that he would uh, refrain from saying something, oh, I don't want to hurt my tender little wife, you know, um, just got to be nice to her and hope she's feeling better tomorrow. No, he sovereignly uh, works in his life uh, and in her life, really, to bring a husband who's willing to say something, to rebuke her uh, when the time uh, is needed for that, um, and that he... Uh, Thankfully, he that is God works in Hannah to respond. Uh, She responds by uh, what happens in these later verses. So uh, we can be thankful for uh, the rule, uh, God's revealed rule, uh, to honor your husband, which Hannah did, and for God's sovereign rule uh, to bring together a situation here that's far from ideal, uh, that there would be multiple wives and the jealousy and the bitterness and the provoking and the competition uh, that that creates. But at the same time uh, that God has brought a husband To Hannah, that loves her, gives her the double portion, as it's stated there, and finally loves her enough to tell her, Anna, you're not acting appropriately. This is dishonoring to me, and it's dishonoring to God uh, that you are not uh, conducting yourself in a way that really shows appreciation for all the blessings you have, and uh, and instead showing a bitterness for a lack of a specific blessing that she wishes she had. So praise God that Hannah was blessed with a husband who loved her and who cared for her and loved her enough uh, to get her back on the right track well then uh, in verses uh, verse 10 we see uh, how she responds much much more righteously and it's not that her circumstances have changed because it says she was in bitterness of soul And prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So her circumstances haven't changed. We have to remember we can't wait for the whole world around us to change and then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. No, it's in the midst of these challenges. The challenges haven't changed. She's still childless. She's likely still got another wife that's provoking her. Uh, She, though, still has a husband that loves her and a God that loves her and a God that listens. And hence, she prays to the Lord and weeps in anguish. And that just leads to such a beautiful fact uh, that God hears uh, the prayers, that he will uh, listen to the prayers of his saints. It says later in verse 13 that she spoke in her heart. So it's not, again, that it has to be heard out loud. It's not as if Eli uh, in verse 17 is the one who's able to conduct this grace of children into her life, uh, that by virtue of having heard her prayer, and he's the special priest, you know, manager of the temple, and therefore can, you know, have God move at his will, Uh, I think at a surface reading, it almost sounds like Eli's Eli's saying, yeah, yeah, all right, I appreciate your prayer, I realize you're not drunk, so God will answer your prayer, Uh, but no, this this prayer of faith was in silence, Uh, it's a sovereign God that hears uh, the prayer, uh, whether it be spoken in the closet, uh, or in a crowd, uh, in your heart, Uh, that People don't have to hear. They don't have to know. Um, It can be helpful for people to know where your heart's at, to hear how we express those heart longings uh, through our lips. Um, And unfortunately, in Hannah's case, her outward actions is what people saw. Uh, Maybe they didn't know how she had changed uh, her heart because that prayer uh, was silent. Uh, But the fact is, uh, Hannah comes here and finally casts her burden on the Lord, a good and gracious Lord that hears those prayers that's certainly more than able uh, more than willing to bear those burdens. We don't have to bear those burdens on our own. Uh, Psalm 55:22 that says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Uh, that we don't have to try and carry that load. It's a load that we, we certainly can't carry. And it's a good thing, uh, truly, that Hannah came to the point where she realized she could carry it. The, the anguish of soul was too much for her. Why try and uh, carry that burden day after day? Uh, It doesn't say here, but it likely been many years, I mean, the the length of time that it took for the other wife to have multiple sons, because that's plural in verse four, and multiple daughters, which is plural also. That's a bunch of years, no doubt, that she was feeling this lack in her life with the anguish and the bitterness building and building over time with the provoking continuing, likely every year. Uh, This is a repeated event, not just once. But with that load growing heavier, and heavier and heavier. Finally, uh, she has the release from it because she casts that burden on the Lord. Uh, She doesn't try to endure the load by herself. And so we can be thankful for the example of Hannah here who finally lets go, uh, realizes that it's God that can solve this situation, that she doesn't have to try and do it by herself and how uh, we don't know the exact and full words of the vows she made, Uh, at least it's that she promises to give this son over to very special service uh, in the temple. She certainly wasn't obligated to do this. Uh, There's no rule uh, that I put under uh, section five there that says your first child, you know, has to uh, never live with you anymore and uh, be fully dedicated to the Lord's service. There certainly is a, a first fruits principle operative then, and I think operative now in different ways. Um, but she goes above and beyond to make this vow. Uh, but the rule, as I have stated there, that is operative is to follow through on your vows. Uh, if you're going to say you're going to do something, be sure you do it. And uh, this is something that I've I've uh, seen a lot of times in my life uh, with the young men I took on the hike this fall. You know, as we're driving there, I'm like, well, wow, we've gotten ourselves into a big deal. <laughs> we said we're going to do it. Um, and you know, There's ways to modify the course of action as safety or weather and you know, other situations, other factors might impact it. But nonetheless, when you say you're going to do something, you've got to be a person of your word and do it. Uh, you don't want to disgrace God by uh, failing at that vow and certainly uh, the repercussions that come to him directly uh, when you fail to follow through. Uh, but I think a major way in which uh, we can fail and the disgrace of uh, failing at a vow is the poor witness it is to other people. You know, if you make a great vow to say, I'm going to go out and witness uh, once a week at least for the next year. You know, that's a good godly thing. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible you're supposed to do it once a week, probably more frequently than that. But uh, say you're going to do it and you you tell some friends that you're going to go do it. Well, when you don't do it, uh, it is an embarrassment to uh, a Christian's word uh, that they not fulfill their vows. So we do need to prayerfully consider the vows that we make, not make them rashly, uh, make them with good forethought, with a plan to carry them out and certainly uh, bathed in prayer. And so it is in the midst of a prayer here that Hannah makes this vow and uh, a vow made in faith and followed through on diligently acting uh, day-to-day in faith. It takes faith to make the promise. It takes faith to carry it out. Uh, It's those faithful promises uh, that God rewards. But then what was uh, the companion principle here, the overarching purpose for which God uh, pulled this whole thing together? And why was it he would have stirred Uh, Hannah's heart to make such a bold vow, a huge promise uh, to give your son, the son you've wanted for so many years, to drop him off at the temple and only see him once a year. It says later that she came to visit each year with a new robe. Uh, It's just a cute thought to think that she did a little sewing project each year and showed up with something for him as he grew and matured. Uh, So why was God uh, stirring her to make this uh, bold vow? promise and to then, thankfully, uh, follow through on it. And it has to do uh, with tying back into verse three, uh, the condition of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, If you'll flip with me over to uh, chapter two, verse 25, uh, where it says, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they, and it, this is the sons, uh, they, Hophni and Phinehas, did not heed the voice of their father. Because this is their father, Eli, uh, rebuking them, telling what are you doing? You're disgracing God. Not only are you personally disgracing God, you're leading other people into sinning. This is horrible. But nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. So here, there's a rule. They're supposed to obey their father and their mother. They're supposed to obey Eli, their father. Um, That's the commandment, part A. But part B, God's sovereign rule. Notice in the last part of the verse, and this is a little chilling, I think, because the Lord desired to kill them. His purpose in having them reject their father's very good and wise counsel is that he wanted to take them out. And as a companion to that, what was his purpose, I see, in the scriptures here, of stirring Hannah through all these years of um, bitterness to have such a desire to have a godly child that she says, once I finally do, I'm going to do this huge thing of giving it over to you, God. What was his purpose in that? In verse 35, if you'll uh, read with me. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. So one great purpose of God in this is to raise up Samuel. Uh, Would Samuel have had such a unique calling uh, if he didn't realize the burden his mom had carried all those years, the great thankfulness she had to finally have a child? And no doubt those uh, few years she spent with him uh, before he was weaned and before she dropped him off at the temple, I can imagine how many times she said to him, little boy, I've wanted you for so long. And I finally uh, received you as a great gift from God. And uh, did she know that God was uh, working in her heart, that deep longing to finally fulfill it and to bring that to fruition so that she, uh, God would get what he wanted, uh, which was uh, to take out the unrighteous servants, those sons of Eli that were working in the temple, and to bring in in their place a man truly after God's own heart. So here we see in uh, all these little steps, the interplay of God's commandments, His rules that we're expected to follow, uh, as well as. Uh looking over the whole situation. I mean, God is the one who sees the big picture. Last week, uh, we saw in that verse where Hannah says that he is uh, the God of knowledge, and he's omniscient. He knows everything, every little detail, Uh, why it is that people long for certain things, why it is they don't get certain things, uh, how they'll respond in these situations. And so he's watching over that whole situation because he wanted a righteous leader uh, to lead his people And he's calling for the same thing today. He's calling for righteous leaders of families, of churches, of governments. And uh, perhaps it's a similar uh, purpose of God today. you know, we, we pray for the conversion of our civil leaders and for, as was said earlier, the, the conversion of cabinet members and the president of the United States. Uh, but could it be uh, that God is making them reject good counsel, uh, reject their own conscience? No doubt. Hopefully they're not so hardened to not have a conscience. It may well be. But perhaps he is uh, working in them to be just like uh, the two sons of Eli uh, so that uh, he can bring them to their destruction. It may be uh, in a short time frame. It might be in a long time frame. Uh, we don't know. It's in God's hands. But uh, we can truly pray that it will be for the purpose of God raising up godly leaders that will uh, serve him with all their heart. So uh, no doubt, I think our situations will appear differently. Um, there's certainly parallels to, to people I know, different facets of this. But um, we must remember God's uh, rules. We we are to obey the revealed things of God. The the secrets are secrets. We don't have to worry about the secrets, all the big whys and hows and wherefores. What we're concerned with are the revealed things of God, which is plenty, right? Uh, Things we we still fail to do. If we had a longer list, it would just be all the more difficult. Uh, But he's given us plenty to obey. Uh, You know, 10 commandments being a summary, and love thy neighbor being even a more focused summary than that. Um, So it's our... Uh, responsibility to obey the revealed will of God those rules he has called us to and it's for us to trust that he's a good and loving God and in his sovereign rule uh, he'll work it all for our good as his promise in Romans and for his glory uh, which is ultimately the most important thing and so I uh, do pray for all of us that we would realize it's a hard thing to respond just like Hannah did in the second situation. It's much easier. It comes as part of our nature to respond the first way she did, uh, but that's not the response of faith. And if you, like me at other times, everything, I just can't respond in the right way. I don't want to. It feels really good to be here sulking uh, because I'm not getting what I want. Uh, but to realize that it, it is hard, and it's hard because it takes something that isn't natively within us it's a foreign grace, an intrusionary work of God that comes into us to make us able to respond as Hannah in verse uh, you know, 11 instead of the Hannah of verse 7. So we want to be Hannah's... 11, not Hannah's 7, and responding uh, with faith, appropriating that grace that he has given to his people, walking not in the weak arm of the flesh, but walking in the strong arm of the Spirit. And that's the only way these promises will really become fulfilled is when he is moving among his people, when we uh, do what he's commanded us to do at the same time, he works in us what he's promised to work with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this example of Hannah that, like so many other saints, Uh, In your scriptures, uh, we see faults, but we also see uh, the glorious work that you did in her. May we be uh, people like her that uh, experience failure, a failure that humbles, a failure that temporarily, not permanently, uh, brings us to bitterness and weeping and anguish. And at the end of that weeping and anguish, uh, we would come to see you, that you would meet our need, uh, that we would live our lives Uh, as ones ruled by you who are good and gracious who gives to his children the good things Uh, you don't give us stones and serpents you give us the good things from your hand that you know that we need lord you have said that you will reign forever and what a privilege it is to reign a good king or serve a good king who is reigning uh, and may Uh, me and all your people here today uh, act more faithfully in these coming weeks to, in the midst of challenging circumstances uh, and and longings of our heart that have yet to be fulfilled, uh, act in a way that is a good witness to our neighbors, those around us, uh, believing and unbelieving who see us, as well as um, uh, fulfills the calling you've uh, brought us to, that you would work in us both to will and to do. Of your good pleasure, it's in the name of Son, uh, your Son Jesus Christ, that we pray this today. Amen.